0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders within the NHS. I'm Carrigan Thompson, and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent in the NHS, and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organization. Thank you for all joining us today. Really excited for this podcast. Um, So in a moment, I'll let you all introduce yourselves um, as we delve into the topic on diversity in the NHS. Charlie, if I can come to you to do your introduction, please.
1: Hi, um, my name is Charlie Martin. I work for Liverpool University Hospitals NHS Trust, and I'm currently on a NHS England and Improvement programme called Diagnostics Digital Capability programme. I'm a lead digital consultant, so uh, doing all things keeping a programme up and running uh, in a very complex geography. That's Cheshire
0: and Merseyside. Thank you so much. Lovely to have you involved. Um, And then if we can come over to you, please, I am.
2: Hi, I'm Ayo Bali. I'm Programme Director for Equality, Diversity and Inclusion at um, SCW, which is a commissioning support unit. Um, we have our patch down south, but we do work nationally with the likes of Health Education England and NHS providers um, to look at how we can actually support organisations to be more inclusive and inc- inc- increase their diversity. So really interested to be part of this podcast and, and to share and learn.
0: Amazing. Thank you. And thank you for getting involved. And then finally, last but not least, over to you, please, Cara.
3: Cara Williams. So my name is Cara Williams. I am a Chief Digital Information Officer. I work for the Countess of Chester Hospital Trust based in Chester in Cheshire. Um, and that means that um, I run the IT, um, informatics more broadly, but I'm also the executive lead for sustainability. Um, so I like to think of myself
0: as slightly broader than just IT. Amazing. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for getting involved today. Um, really looking forward to the conversations that we're about to go into. So I think it's good to to jump straight in. Um, and Corrie, I'm going to come back to you, if that's OK. If okay. I can bring the question to yourself, of, does increasing digitisation of the workplace place increased opportunities in the workforce for greater diversity? Yeah, so um, I'll tell you
3: why I came up with this question. I'm aware of the fact that um, in the NHS uh, we have quite a diverse um, series of uh, staff, you know, within our different organisations, probably varies across the country, to be honest. But I'm also aware, and being in the more digital side of things, that the way in which we're working, the way in which we have to work, the trends that we've seen since Covid, I think... Um, It's arguable um, that the opportunities are starting to open up because um, employers are having to think about things in a much more flexible way, having to take on board that sometimes people can be working more remotely and having to think in much more flexible ways, which for me, means that that diversity agenda the doors kind of cracking open a bit broader and it means that um, you enable people to at least engage with the organizations which I know it's not the the final point uh, but it's a point because I think once you've started to look at um, the diversity in your staff base you're starting to look at different organization it just inherently does that Um, And my interests in that are multiple and various. Um, I just think that the more you have diversity in your staff base, the more you you manage your your population, your citizens in a better way, because um, they can see themselves reflected in the organisation. And for me, for digital, if you like, um, being very parochial now, uh, the solutions we provide are better. And so um, anyway, so I've rambled off away from the question. So my question is, does digital provide that opportunity um, for those uh, who want to have that more diverse workforce and to engage with them properly?
1: I think so. I think it provides a great opportunity and I, I just want to see it harnessed in a better way. So I think that sometimes, especially in the NHS, that funding for digital initiatives comes down so quickly. Um Teams are having to be, you know, shot up out of nowhere, and uh, you know we don't actually get an opportunity to make sure we're ensuring that the people coming in are getting the opportunities to learn and are getting opportunities to do something different, even though it's a great opportunity to do something different. Um, we do try to harness the common opportunities, but I know that a lot of people uh, in my teams, when I'm in these digital programs, often come from contracting space. Um, they come from loans from other organizations where someone says, oh, you can use so and so, you know, <laughs> I've never met them, never interviewed, et etc. And so we end up not getting that opportunity to have organic talent from, you know, younger people from diverse backgrounds. Um, and we see the same faces, which can be a bit disappointing. But yeah, I agree, it is an opportunity. We've got to build that in to, to the programs.
2: Yeah, I think from from my perspective, I think this is a really interesting question, and um, mm-hmm. it just brings to mind a, a project that SCW did over the last kind of 12 to 18 months with um, Health Education England's Digital Academy, who were really interested in intentionally looking at how they could be much more inclusive in terms of getting people to apply from a much broader range um, of backgrounds, and really understanding which groups within um, kind of the NHS community, if you like, were underserved or underrepresented within that digital academy. So I think the, the first thing is for, you know, when it when we're looking at kind of digital and tech, is to look at um, kind of what's the business case? So why, why are we doing this? And surely it comes down to innovation and change. And I think um, Albert Einstein said that, the you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, and <laughs> expecting different solutions. So I think one thing to kind of look at when we look at diversity, particularly in digital, is, you know, what can we do differently, intentionally? kind of outside of the box to reach people who don't traditionally perhaps see themselves in that career track or the NHS hasn't traditionally felt relatable to. Um, so so the, some of the things that we did in that particular uh, project was firstly to understand the evidence base. So who, who is, you know, who's traditionally applied for these types of opportunities? What are their protected characteristics? You know, what, what ethnic categories do they fall into? What genders, what age groups, etc, um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So they can understand kind of what is their starting point. And then throughout the actual process of bringing people in, you can then break the data down and understand, you know, we've got a certain proportion of people who are applying from these backgrounds, but perhaps they're not necessarily getting through to being shortlisted, um, or perhaps they're getting through to being shortlisted, but not getting through to actually getting a position on on that particular programme. So whatever the, I suppose, whatever the agenda that you've got, it's understanding the data um, in that um, quite, you know, detailed way. So you can see where the kind of issues lie, but not only where the issues lie, where the opportunities lie, because then you can see once you understand the data, what type of initiatives you can bring in to increase that diversity. So I think starting with evidence is a really key point in terms of increasing uh, kind of diversity within digital spaces, but then putting in place positive action solutions. So. Um, one of the things that we can do under a kind of the equality act is actually proactively um you know seek out certain communities who were underrepresented and to do that in a way that's you know really creative really engaging to try and Widen the doors, you know, in terms of what Cara mentioned. Um, you know, how do we actually, you know, eke open that door and and, and let people uh, through um, who who we want to see as part of uh, the NHS and, and part of this new workforce. So I think there's loads of things that that can be done. Um, for me, it starts with data and then looking at what type of solutions make sense based on where you where you've identified the barriers are for different communities. Um, yeah, so,
3: yeah, I really like that idea. And that one of the things we've been doing um, more recently, and it's I mean, in some ways it's old news, but it's actively working uh, with groups of our, our customers, our client base, if you like, who are frustrated in <laughs> the way in which uh, our services and the use of technology is actually providing barriers to them. And so uh, we collaborated with NHS Digital and we ran workshops. Um, and so um, it was actually listening to people, you know, as a person who's got visual difficulties or you know, learning difficulties and um, actually understanding the way in which, we currently operate and how we, we we currently communicate with people what impact that has on their lives and therefore things we need to start thinking about and it's almost standing in their shoes and very much the point you're making i about um, having the data data comes in many different ways doesn't it so sometimes it's the, the softer stuff and actually facing somebody and talking to them in terms of you know actually understanding how does that feel you know what, what's that look like um what do we need to do in terms of our culture and our mindset to shift to actually understand and and reflect that in the way in which we're designing services and I think for me that's the important part around digital and I'm sorry if I'm banging on about it too much but it's about it reflects your culture um, and so if your culture is mon- you know mono, mono type culture it's going to be wrong because it won't fit and so I think um, having that data having that evidence and then doing something about it is absolutely the thing to do.
1: That's a really good point you raised about, um, Cara, getting in the users, getting in the people who are actually using that service, because at the basis of digital innovation is user design and user research, but we very rarely integrate that into as our digital programs in the NHS at the basis. And it it comes to the speed and the need to kind of like rapidly iterate, get some new technology out there. But um, we did some work with a consultancy called Public on user research with the the actual uh, stakeholder teams in uh, pathology. And that was really powerful to see how many systems people interact with, but also how the teams interact with each other and kind of how they feel about themselves in their organization in relation to the tech. And I know that sounds a bit spacey as a concept, but, you know, the the amount of burden that they have as just individuals working day to day, just trying to get the work done and how that tech is making that problem worse or better and us not hearing them in terms of their personal journeys or, or their, their identities that is having an impact and is having an impact on adoption and sustainability of using that new technology so no that's that's fantastic i think it's giving me all sorts of ideas around digital inclusion and doing things a bit better thank you Carl.
3: <laughs> i haven't got the answer i've got the question <laughs> so i think that's the point isn't it i think it's about actually having a mindset that's open so that you can recognize there's a question to be answered there and keep chasing it so that you get it sorted out um so yeah one one of my challenges rather than an answer at the moment
2: I think those those challenges and, and being cognizant of the, those challenges are so important, and keeping talking about it and being, you know, aware of how different people experience, you know, the workplace or, or digital tech, and it's it's making me think about some of the public interest stories that came out, you know, after COVID, particularly around kind cl- of cl- clinical technology and that algorithm bias that was di- yeah. was created because of a lack of diversity in the development it, process. Yeah. So it's it's so critical because actually the outcome of that lack of diversity in development is that there's a you. inequities in terms of how people use um, different technology, whether that's to do with their healthcare or within the workplace. So it is that critical to make that link, I suppose. And then um, I think the NHS obviously has a, as, as a big focus in terms of wanting to improve diversity and improve inclusion. And I think there's a lot more raised awareness, but I think in terms of what we can do practically, it's it's just having that ability to look around us in our local settings and see actually, how is this person going to experience it differently, like what, what Charlie mentioned, really, and, and seeing what we can do to respond to that as part of our everyday practice, really. Um, so, yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Is that kind of... Um, gone into the kind of way you wanted that to go car opened and a, a few more perspectives on that for you yeah I suppose um it, technology
3: is is agnostic in lots of ways but it's played out in the culture and so I suppose what I'm, I'm seeing is an NHS where diversity is you know it's quite good actually in many places and like I said it does vary across the country but if you look at say NHS staff surveys you know um there is an expression of concern, certainly in terms of, you know, sort of the ethnic perspective that you know aren't necessarily a good experience by everybody actually working in that environment Um, and suppose I suppose I was trying to look at a counter view which is well actually in terms of you know our digital opportunities um, we're seeing a different pattern in terms of the way in which uh, people from who are not necessarily um, having the best experience in terms of employment and now moving into new uh, a new environment with many more jobs being made available and and maybe it's something where a tide is turning which I'm hoping is the case um, that it actually provides an opportunity even though maybe as the staff survey kind of indicates it's not the best experience at the moment and maybe it's something that's shifting and I suppose that's it's a hopeful point of view and whether it's realistic I don't know Um, but that's the hopeful point of view that I have
0: thank you so much um, I think it would be a nice um, to go and kind of move on to see, obviously, within the different organisation, if I come over to you, please, Ayo, if I bring a question to you of, can you give examples of how organisations can improve diversity and the experience, progression of staff from different backgrounds when they are in post?
2: Yeah, so so I think that's a really important question and I think... Definitely over the last couple of weeks and this kind of links to what Kara was just mentioning there um, in her response around kind of staff experience, really, because there was a report that came out just last week, actually, um, around uh, racism, particularly in the UK as a whole. So not specifically talking about the the NHS, but it identified that um, 120,000 members of staff have left employment specifically because of racism uh, in the last um, 12 months and one in four. Um, people um, of Black, Asian, or minority ethnic backgrounds in the last five years have experienced um, racial bullying or harassment or racist jokes in the workplace, Um, and that this is um, actually having a knock-on impact in terms of confidence, and that will also have an impact on um, career development and retention. Um, So that's kind of the UK picture as a whole, and if we look specifically at the NHS, which of course is the biggest employer, um, we can see from the WRES results that um, 99 point six percent in ninety nine point six percent of trusts. Um, people of kind of a non-white ethnic background had a worse experience of discrimination um, than people of white background. So it's really clear that it's it's a massive issue. I like to call it, a, well don't like to call it, but I, I reflect that it's, you know, it's a pandemic of racism really that, that that is facing the UK and that subsequently faces the NHS and that has massive impact in terms of staff experience and retention and actually making a reality a lot of these aspirations around wanting to embrace and it include uh, people of different backgrounds, not only in the UK, but also international recruits as well. And I know the NHS has a big focus on wanting to bring people from um, from from overseas um, into the workforce as well. So I think in terms of what we can do, obviously, you know, with, with difficult statistics like that, still comes opportunities as well to actually try to make changes if we can get particularly senior leadership on board with the need to, to, to do this and to prioritise it. And I've certainly seen examples in terms of the work that we're doing at SCW working at kind of ICB, ICS and trust level to develop these positive action programmes that are sponsored by senior leadership that are specifically targeted on talent development within some of those communities that unfortunately are having worse or worse experiences than others. So we've worked to develop um, a program that is is designed to really challenge the issue of kind of the glass ceiling for Black Asian minority ethnic staff. So it's looking at specific bands within the NHS that it seems that colleagues are able to get to but not able to get through, and targeting staff who who we feel have got potential um, and providing them with some additional training, opportunities, mentoring and coaching um, to help them with their next career move. And rather than just putting all of the onus on the members of staff who we know were underrepresented um, and face those barriers. It's also the programme also engages management and senior leadership so that they've got an understanding of the barriers and the skills they need to actually coach people on their career journey um, and to intentionally, as I say, focus on um, barriers that exist for certain communities within the NHS, whether that's due to ethnic background or disability or sexual orientation. So there's, there are lots of initiatives out there that potentially um, um, could make a difference and are active in the system, which I'm, I'm always happy to see. It's great to see, you know, people innovating and trying to do things differently. But yeah, I think that's that's definitely one way is to, un, again, understanding the, the, the depth of the challenge um, that exists, but also looking at a kind of evidence-based positive action um, initiatives that can actually target those particular pinch points um, that, that staff are experiencing challenges with. Um, so, yeah, but I'd be really interested to kind of hear what um, kind of Cara and Charlie mm-hmm. think of that, if there's initiatives that you, you've seen work well in your context or you've observed as well. Yeah,
3: I mean, certainly within the trust here, um, and we do have um, overseas recruitment. And so it is recognised that um, there is a real shift in terms of, the, you know, the cultural, uh, their cultural starting point and um, where they end up with with the Countess. Um, and I mean, to be honest, for us, there's a real drive around our staff to actually ensure, just in general terms, that staff feel supported. Covid has had a, a horrible impact on the NHS and just... Um, It's just the daily grind and experience of you know of the workload that we're we're facing and the staff are facing it's it's really quite significant um and I think in that context I think understanding the value of your staff is really important uh dear lord we could not have got through the last two years without the work that they've done um but you know it's right to say that um you know staff experience is something that we have to listen to um and we do have you know specific training programs in place um but I think that is that thing of, of the national survey that we have um, at least once a year, but it's having that continued conversation in between so that you understand what's going on um, with your staff right across the whole trust. And so one of the things the execs are trying to do now um, is to be a bit more visible. It was really difficult in COVID. So somebody like me, who's non-clinical, just wandering off around a a trust when you've got COVID rife everywhere, it's just, it's not the done thing. Uh, Whereas now we've got a real push where we've buddied ourselves up with different areas um, and tried to make ourselves a bit more of Able for people to talk to us now I'd be interested to know and it maybe this is something that I'm probably reflecting a bit so we've only just started really properly doing it but maybe I should actually look to see you know who's coming forward and talking to me and who isn't you know, because it could well be that if people don't see themselves reflected in me, they're less inclined to come forward. And um, maybe on reflection, I'll probably I'll, I'll look out for that and see if that's the case. Actually, in my staff base, in my own staff base, people are probably a bit more forced to put up with me then because I couldn't talk to them. Um, but you know, my my staff base is a bit more diverse. Um, and you're right, Charlie. Possibly more through contract actually than necessarily um, recruitment internally because um i didn't have a lot of turnover my staff and i've only just now secured some funding to go out and recruit so it'll be interesting to see how that that changes but we we are quite diverse as a support service so that's I mean for me I, I take that as a good thing um, but we still have to listen and it'd be interesting to see whether um, there are any unintentional barriers there that I need to overcome so it's probably something worth looking out for but we we do have active programmes of going out to listen to all staff it's just a question of whether how that's received which is um, something we need to be sensitive to probably.
1: Yeah it's a uh... Uh, Another hat that I wear is I'm the BAME staff network lead at All the Hay, and so uh, that came about from some really dynamic work that was led by the outgoing uh, NED, um, Claire Dove, and it's being picked up by the current uh, EDI non-exec direct Garth Dallas. after uh, the George Floyd incident and then the backdrop of COVID 19. One of the things that was done at Alta Hay is they put on a series of listening events with DAME um, staff. And that was a really, really powerful tool to hear different um, experiences. And one of the things that, from listening to, to other people, because I'm, I'm one of the 96%, I've experienced racism. Um, and I pretty much experienced it in my whole NHS career. So I didn't start when I came to the UK in the NHS, I came to Harley Street and worked in private. Um, so to have the NHS be more altruistic by its very nature and experience racism in my first NHS job is a bit, oh, that's strange. Um, but you know, that that was 12, 13 years ago, uh, we are getting better. But one of the things that I noticed because I've been able to cross that barrier and move up so that's that's something that I do try try to share with with my other colleagues and trying to make sure that I'm giving people that equal opportunity but that lack of comfort to, the, to talk about racism that lack of comfort to raise a toxic culture and um, that kind of Reticence to that people of color have in thinking that it is systems and processes, which I think is quite good. You know, you're not going to blame the NHS, but you're just going to be really hard on yourself. That I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough, and I won't even have this conversation because I need to go back and take another course. My accent's too thick. Um, one of one, a member of my team who was from India uh often didn't go to interviews because of her accent. And simply put, as she just felt that, you know, she either needs to work on that before she she went and, and progressed. She's now progressed. But it, it's things like that. And it's that those kind of minor below the surface that wouldn't necessarily get surfaced um, unless you have that free space to communicate and that free space to kind of unload what you're experiencing. That that's pretty much keeping um the the it, it's persisting the lack of diversity um there was a study that was done a, a while ago just a survey saying that Uh, people who even engage with agencies or contracting organizations felt they weren't put forward for the best interviews. And so why is that? Why don't they feel they're being put forth? And and what what are the barriers? Is it within them? Is it within the organization? And I think it's cracking below the surface for the kind of questions that wouldn't necessarily come in a WRES or something like that. But that would happen more in what Alder Hayes approach, having kind of those listening forums, that open engagement, feeling safe to be able to share. I think that was a real Really good experience and it, it changed the way that i included people in my teams and in development so yeah uh, that was more of a rambling uh
2: <laughs> rambles are good i find yes. good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think um I think that you know it just shows how powerful those those opportunities to speak and engage in a trusting environment are because you it, it is very difficult, particularly if you're a minoritized member of staff, and um, you've had a personal experience of of discrimination, it's hard to trust in a system and, and mm particularly if you've you've observed other people who've tried to use systems and, and failed. Um, so it's just, I suppose, organisations acknowledging that that there is a, a layer beneath what you see, even in the staff survey, of people who are po- possibly le- less likely to engage because of experiences they've had or their communities have had. And I think that initiative that, that Charlie's mentioned around Alderhay and having that safe space, which is developed into a network, which can then develop into some, some really key initiatives for Alderhay to really become um you know to improve in this area based on on what staff are saying is very very powerful and i think i've seen um you know again over the last few weeks a, a bit of a backlash in the media around you know the amount that's spent on on diversity and inclusion in general and i think what we've discussed even stages just shows just how valuable that is if we want to actually start to make these changes actually having ring fence time and space to have these discussions and to filter that up to leadership so they understand what the real issues are that's the only way we can actually create change by actually creating those spaces so um, yeah I would definitely agree with everything you've said there Charlie
0: amazing thank you so much charlie um i'm going to i'm going to keep with you there charlie and, and kind of move on to um a question that you brought forward i think to kind of open up to um obviously a lot more conversation but if i can ask you how can we help ensure diversity in digital helps to increase inclusivity
1: yeah so it it's very similar to cara's question and <laughs> where, where that comes from is that um we we have lots of little pockets of great I suppose, practice in terms of digital. We have the Shuri Network, which of course is women in digital, but it's a really powerful tool. I'm in the Shuri Network. A lot of people are able to get opportunities to join things like the Faculty of Clinical Informatics, which I'm also in, and I did via the Shuri Network as well. And, you know, becoming kind of digital associates and business associates, you know, expanding the scope of you don't just have to be a techie or a project manager to work in digital, but there's data analysts, there's uh, interoperability, specialists who think about it as an ecosystem rather than just simple connecting of APIs and that sort of thing. So we have lots of opportunities, but I still kind of, there's people I don't see, you know, I don't see a lot of Black men um, representing the NHS, uh, you know, in general, but particularly in non-clinical roles. I still don't see a lot of women being able to show their chops in pure technical roles, you know, they're still sitting on LinkedIn saying, can I get a job? You know, I don't a developer. Can I get a shot at developing? You know, they, they still tend to be uh, in projects and programs. And when you're trying to create an inclusive team, you want everyone, you know, I, we have, you know, I would say that digital would probably have uh, more people from the disabled space but there's still kind of this assumption that you have to be able body to do the work and so you don't see a lot of people there and i just want to know personally how i can assure it so i've done things when i send out my job specs it it literally lists that of course is a positive action post Um, but also, you know, I will even say that, you know, it doesn't necessarily, everywhere you'll go will be wheelchair accessible, will be accessible if you have different, uh, uh, differently able, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm still not getting the people. So my question is, how do I get these people in the team absolutely willing and not see the the same people doing the same thing? Because that's another thing, to have a a purely, to have a truly dynamic team that can really get those innovations, you have to have people from different perspectives in different roles. So, you know, we all know we we have a female prime minister again, you know, <laughs> the, the Tories always do it, you know, three to, to labor's zero, but <laughs> we're getting there. But, you know, we know that it, in different roles comes a different perspective. And we saw that Liz has arranged her cabinet in a different way already. So how do we get pure techs into females into the roles and black men being project managers and you know different teams having different backgrounds and I I do struggle with it and it, it disappoints me I suppose so yeah that that's the question.
3: Oh, it's a big one as well. Um, I think um, one of the things that um, I've been involved with uh, more locally here is actually looking at schools. I think schools is where you start, because part of the problem now is you're dealing with what happened in schools many years ago. And that's, you know, so schools, education, universities. So we do outreach into the local university. partly because we do struggle to recruit in general, but it's also looking at local talent, really, and actually understanding what's available. And I think it's, there is something about um, voice, you know, it's about um, connecting to um, where there might be opportunities in schools, local universities, getting yourself involved in, um, you know, various networks. So I'm involved in various women's networks, I suppose, uh, because I have an interest in that in that direction. But I think it's it's being about uh, being the person. Well i trying to say I'm saying it very um, in a very disjointed way. I think it's about actually sort of being approachable, being visible and actually being welcoming in lots of ways actually having that sort of openness to uh, what you're trying to create and having that sort of uh, a diversity perspective included and sometimes it's about celebrating the things that you do that, that actually has that marker to it so that people can share it with you and actually see themselves as part of that future I suppose um, and I think that for me it's it's a way it's the soft stuff in some ways that can actually have the the, the greatest impact on individuals and um, because it. It's, it's where they feel themselves to be part of that or could be part of that. And that opportunity then looks like it's a more attractive one to go forward for. So it, it's probably a lot of communications, but it's, it's the soft stuff in lots of ways. But it, I think it has a real impact on people.
2: Yeah, I I definitely agree with all of that. And I think um, what you've mentioned there and touched on is is that concept of relatability. Um, So do people actually relate to what they're seeing? Um, You know, is it an employer that they feel that they'd be able to get in the doors of that would welcome them? And not only that, would they actually have a career within that organisation? So I think that relatability piece is really important. And we saw that play out quite a lot through covid actually particularly around the um this is a bit of a segue but in in relation to the um the uptake of the vaccine and it became very clear that certain communities weren't necessarily coming forward for a number of reasons part of it because historically the issues around um vaccines with with certain communities particularly communities of colour there was a lot of myths out there around the vaccine and also if we looked at you know the people who were were talking about the vaccine were from monocultural backgrounds generally so could people from a wider variety of backgrounds relate to what they were saying so I think similar learning can be taken when we're actually trying to expand into new communities in terms of the workforce it's you know how how can we come relate become relatable to them. And I think part of that is is what you've mentioned there, at Cara, about at schools, absolutely, um, and making sure that people from a, a diverse range of backgrounds who are already there are, are used potentially as advocates. Um, so I think there's, there's lots of kind of good practice examples in terms of reaching out and getting to new communities. I think the difficulty is getting people to make the step to apply, um, potentially, but also, it's also, and it comes back to my original point from the first question, about actually really understanding our data mm mm-hmm. So rather than making an assumption, actually, that people are not applying or don't see us as relatable, how can we actually break down the data in terms of who's applying from different communities and really understand if it's an issue around a lack of applications or actually it's something to do with our recruitment processes? So what we've found over the last couple of years working with a number of organisations is that there is a massive opportunity to de-bias that recruitment process um, to remove um, kind of the biases that prevent certain people from getting through to, to various different stages of the recruitment process and just making sure that there's really kind of clear um, kind of objective criteria as well and um, so there's a lot of um, subjectivity within the process in terms of who's recruiting so there's there's lots of new tools and techniques that are now coming in that we can use to help our recruiting managers as well to make sure that they're being as open um, as possible in terms of who they're getting through the doors and um, yeah looking at things like values-based recruitment etc to try and, and, and widen participation so it's looking at both um, relatability, but also what what we can do in terms of our existing structures of our systems to make them a bit more accessible as well. Um, but yeah, Charlie, it's a, it's a, it is a big question, um, and I think a lot a lot of organisations are really trying to 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 tackle it, and it's it's really important because particularly with the the unemployment rates and the, the great resignation, we really do need to do better to reach out and you know engage with a wider variety of of, of candidates in the workplace. So
1: an important question to raise. Thank you. And those are really, really great points. And, and that relatable piece, I think we do have an opportunity. So we, one thing you do do in digital is go to a lot of conferences. So I think I'll, I'll up my networking game and kind of, you know, big up the NHS. It's not all, you know, suppliers. You can come work for us too <laughs> and see if we can convert some. So thank you guys. That's really, really helpful.
3: No it is really interesting and yeah thank you guy. Um, it's a really good conversation and it does it's a useful reminder because sometimes you're so headlong in your job and you're just running and running and running and trying to get the next thing done before somebody kills you you know you just mm-hmm. um, it's it's you do every once in a while have to stop and, uh, and look around um, and um, just check on what you're doing and how you're doing it um because you, you do tend to operate on a whole set of assumptions quite naturally you can't help it um, but yeah it's really important that you stop and take a good look
1: this
0: is great i'm enjoying this good good it's why we do it just get it's as you said Cora, it's good to just get into conversation with those in your network and those um similar situations wanting to find similar answers so um i just want to say thank you all for for taking the time to join this conversation as always it is one of our um strongest conversations that we do here on our podcast so i just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to 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 come onto this podcast for me today